0: Hey, thanks for listening to The Journey Podcast. We're glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast engages you, encourages you, and brings you closer to Him. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing today? Everybody doing good? Hey, do me a huge favor. Our worship team did an amazing job today. Would you give them a big round of applause? I want you to do me a huge favor too today, Evans Campus. I want you to welcome our Sherwood campus back there. Just a big round of applause for them being with us. It's exciting. So if you're at Sherwood, you're here, you're online, it is so good to see you guys today. And it was interesting. I was telling somebody just this earlier, and I believe this is a fact. I don't know. I haven't seen all the numbers yet. I believe we're slowly getting back into most people coming back to church. I saw people having to try to find seats this morning. That's exciting, isn't it? So maybe we're getting back to a sense of normal in our, uh, at least our world a little bit. So Um, If you're new to Journey, we've been in a series called From the Mount. You just saw the the bumper. And we've been looking at these messages. There's 19 of them where Jesus speaks. And I would think if Jesus is speaking these things, they would probably be pretty important for us to listen to. So we broke it up into two groups. We did a a couple before around Easter time. Uh, During the pandemic, we did it via video. And then back here, we started again a couple, three weeks ago uh, going back. I think we have three more after this. And today's a good one, because I think today is a, uh, something that all of us struggle with at times, all of us have a problem with, so we may get our toes stepped on a little bit today, we may get a little conviction, and uh, it'd probably be good for all of us to have that happen. And I actually texted some of the communicators of the church, uh, here at church, Caleb and Will and Pat, and I said, I want you to read today's passage. Um, it's Matthew chapter 7, it's actually 12 to like 14, and I want you to give me a word, just one word. Uh, I want you to tell me what you think. Give me something that describes these couple few verses. And of course, they're all preachers. So they gave me three points and a poem and a story and everything else. And I just said, I just want a couple words. Just give me a couple words. And we kind of, kind of honed it down. And then I finally said, I looked at it one time myself and I said, it really comes down to a phrase. And today what we're going to talk about is form over content. A lot of times we're really kind of, and let me me explain it this way, because a lot of us understand this. Um, Anybody ever coach like girls softball or boys baseball or maybe soccer of some sort? Raise your hand if you've ever done that with little kids. Have you ever seen the little kid that walks up? He's got the brand new shoes on. He's got the, the brand new pants. He's got the belt. He's got the best looking baseball bat. It's a four or $500 baseball bat. He's got gloves on both hands. He's doing everything that the pros do, and he's banging them. He is standing just like Albert Pujols is in the plate and he wiggles his, he's doing all of that. And the first pitch gets thrown and, it's, and his bat lays on his shoulder and he never swings, right? And then the second, and he strikes out every time. I literally had a kid like this. He went the whole entire, when I was coaching, he went the whole entire year, like 20 games. He never swung the bat. He never made it to base. He never got a hit. I was thinking, man, he's got a lot of form, but not a lot of content, not a lot of substance. And it was became true to me, several months ago. I was playing golf. I play golf uh, quite a bit, Um, but I was playing golf one day, and there's a threesome that I usually play with, three guys, Um, and we were playing, and they asked if uh, one of the guys, they asked us if we could get a fourth, if somebody could join our group, and usually I'm a little leery about anybody joining our group, because we're pretty serious about our golf, And this guy walks up, and I'm just gonna tell you, if you've ever played golf and you've ever had anybody join you, you know exactly what The first thing you check on is you don't check his shoes or what he looks like. You check to see what's in his golf bag. And you kind of go, oh, he's got just kind of dumpy-looking stuff. He's not that good of a golfer. Well, this guy came walking up, and literally when he walks up, I'm kind of eyeballing his stuff, and I pull out his putter. It's the first thing I pull out. I go, dude, like, did you steal that from Putt-Putt? Because that's what it looks like, right? It looks like a a Putt-Putt one, right? And so... On the other side of the equation, I have this one guy that we play with every, just about every week or every couple times we play, and he has the newest, latest, and greatest. Like if Big Bertha comes out with some new Big Bertha, he's got a Big Bertha. If, 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 if somebody like the Titleist comes out with a TS4000 extra long, he's going to have it in his back. He looks the part. He's got the best little golf balls. He's got shiny. I mean, he does everything, and he scores like 120 every time we play, but he looks good, right? And that's really important. So I'm looking at this guy's golf bag, and I'm thinking to myself, well, he's kind of got a dumpy golf bag. It's closed like nothing matches. Like, like you can tell, like a good golfer, a good golfer, a good golfer, they have a matching towel that matches their bag, that matches their head covers. That's just the way it is, right, guys? Amen? This is good. Somebody say, good preaching, Bobby. So wives, these are great presents for your husband. Titleist TS2 is what he wants. This for, uh, anyway, so he had all had the, the guy that comes up, he's like, Like nothing matches. Like he's got a wedge that's a Wilson, he's got a a tailor made driver, the head covers don't match. I'm thinking, man, it's going to be awful. The end of the round, I'm keeping score. The guy that walks up shoots a 68. That's a really, if you don't know anything about golf, that's a really, really good round. The guy that's got all the new stuff, 105. And this is where it hit me form. Versus content. See, somewhere along the line, this guy practiced. He didn't have all the greatest equipment. He didn't have the latest, newest, biggest, colorful, whatever. But this guy must have done something. He had some content. He must have practiced on his way. He must have had some natural raw talent. He must have had some less something. This guy over here just looks the part. He just bought a golf game. This is what it made me think about it. this is who Jesus is talking to. Jesus is talking to religious people. He's talking to what we see in the Bible is scribes and Pharisees. They're the religious of the religious. And he's talking to them about this concept of form versus content. And it's the, the whole Sermon on the Mount, everything in the Sermon on the Mount, is about this concept right here. And he says, listen, he said religion is about form. Religion is about looking the part. And if you can look the part, you don't have to worry about acting the part. You can fake it till you make it, right? You can do whatever. But, but if you want to be spiritual and if you want to have a relationship with God, and you want to do the right things. You want to keep my commandments. You want to follow me as I, you know, like, as, as, you know, come follow me as I follow. You're going to have to have some content in your life. And he said, this is spirituality. And the whole Sermon on the Mount, from chapter five all the way through where we're going to end it in a couple weeks, that's what, he's, that's what he's talking about, It's the argument. And I'm, I'm learning this. And, and maybe you can understand, because I've seen this even in church people, because I see the, the latest and greatest, I mean, like the greatest worship leader. And, they, you know, and they, we get people occasionally you know, around here. Not, I mean, it's always been okay, but like, you get people that look the part, but there's, there's a lot of this, but there's not a lot of that. And they look like they walked right off the stage from the hoppest, hippiest, coolest church in the whole world. And they got the, the long dress-like, you know I'm talking about? It's the dude that wears, the, and he's got the cool, you know, all that. but he has no, there's no substance. And here's here's what I found. You may want to write this down because this is really important. This is going to go a long way in your life. Eventually true content, whatever it is, good or bad, will be revealed. Eventually true content, whatever you're made up of, will eventually come out. You may not like it when it comes out. You probably won't like it when it comes out, but it will come out. What's going on deep down inside, the Bible says the abundance in the heart, the mouth will eventually speak. Something will happen. I've seen this over and over again, but years ago, back when I was 17 or 18 years old, I had just become a believer and I had a pastor. And he was like the the epitome of that style of men. I'm like, he was, we we went to kind of a a charismatic y church. And he looked the part, and, you know, his family would drive the church in a nice car. His wife was beautiful. He had two kids. He had a dog. He had a nice house. He had everything that you would want. And I aspired. That's what I, when I grew up and I, I became a minister, that's what I wanted to look like. I mean, I remember times on Sunday mornings when there would be an altar call and the whole family would come down to the front and they would all hold hands and pray together. And I remember watching him during communion. He would literally give his family communion. And I was friends with his daughter. I remember one day I said to her, Sarah, I said, listen, here's the deal. When I grow up, I want my family to be just like when I get married and I have kids, I want my family to be just like yours. You know what she told me? No, you don't. I was like, what do you mean? She goes, What you see is not really the reality. He said he yells at my mom all the time. He's physically abusive. I remember about a year and a half after we moved down here from New Jersey to help start another church plant, I remember getting a phone call one day that the family had self-destructed and it had come out that he was sexually molesting his kids. And I thought to myself, he had a lot of form, but apparently there was no content. Jesus doesn't care about form. He doesn't care about what we look like. He really doesn't even care what we say, what he cares about. We just sang the song, coming back to the heart of worship. It's all about you. It's all about making sure that my relationship with you is right. That's what he's saying is important. And that's about content. And here's what I've learned. If you project an image... If you have an image, because we are so, in our world, we're so consumed with the image. We're so consumed with the package. I mean, magazines and TV shows do, you know, uh, the 50 most beautiful people. We don't care what they act like. We don't care about the contents of their lives. We don't care if they're cheating on their spouses. All we care about is what they look like. What are they wearing? What's the latest? What's the greatest? Eventually what'll happen, that image will self-destruct. That package will break down and the truth will come out. I found it out in our own personal lives. If people live beyond their means, if they're living beyond their means, like the paycheck and the house they're living in, the paycheck and the car they're driving, and the paycheck and the toys they have, if they're not lining up, eventually what will happen? The package will break down, won't it? And I've seen it in spiritual lives. I've seen it where people show up for a long time and they have this appearance of being something real special. And then all of a sudden, a little bit of something happens. Maybe they're confronted on something that's going on in their life and you realize they have no content at all. And Jesus has something to say about that today. In Matthew chapter seven, verse 13, this is what he says. And I believe this statement that I'm about to make so true. The greatest tragedy that we can ever experience in our life is perfecting the form, the package, and neglecting the content. I wanna be a pastor of a church, a faith community, that people are concerned about the content of their lives. That when we go outside these walls right here, that people go, there's something special about the content of the people that go to that church. This is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter seven, verse 13. He says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter in will be many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. If you're a note taker, I want you to write this note down because this is really, really important. And I'll explain this. It may take me a half a second to unpack it. uh, Unpack this: the path you're on is taking you exactly where you're going to go. The path that you're on, whatever that path is, is going to take you exactly where you want to go. It's it's the principle of the path that if you're on a path that's going this direction, you're not going to end up over there. And if your life is going this way, if your life is always about the broad narrow gate, if it's not about holiness. That's exactly where you're going to end up. If I was to leave church today and I was to get on I-20 and I was going to head east, where would I be going? What direction am I going? What's the first big city I'm going to hit? Columbia, right? Now that's great if I'm wanting to go to Columbia, but if I'm wanting to go to Atlanta, there's an issue. And you know what I'm finding out? So many people are trying to go to Atlanta, but their life path is going to Columbia. It's going a whole other direction. I have a friend of mine. I've shared this story before. He's battled alcohol addiction for about 30 years. And, and it's interesting. It's, it's really sad, to be quite honest with you, because there's these huge ebbs and flows where he goes two, three, four, five years without ever drinking. And then all of a sudden, it's binge time. And i will go a year, and then i will come back to CR or i will go back to a, 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 you know, an AA meeting or whatever the case may be. And I've shared this before, and this is the path. Now, you would think a person like that, the path would be going this direction. His occupation is a bartender. How difficult it has to, it, it, it's got to be almost impossible to be around that stuff all the time and not be, so if you want your life to go the other direction, you have to get on a different path. That's content, but most people are just worried about that this, the, the, the look, the, the form, this is interesting, this passage. I'm going to read this again because there's two things I really, like you can't get to Atlanta driving toward, toward, toward Columbia, and many, many people are on the wrong road, by the way, in their lives. But if you're not on the great path that takes you where you want to go, you know what you need to do? Get on a different path. It's not that difficult. It's not rocket science. If you want to be something, go that direction. I love the way Craig Rochelle says, he says, everybody will end up somewhere, but not everybody will end up somewhere on purpose. Do you know we're all going to end up somewhere? At the end of our lives, 75, 85, whatever, however long, we're going to end up somewhere. Is that where you want to end up? Is that where you want to be? Is that, the place that, is, that, is that the place that God's calling you? And so when he says this, when, when Jesus is telling these scribes and Pharisees and he's preaching this message, remember the listeners he's talking to, but thousands of years later, these words still apply to us. And I want you to kind of notice a couple different phrases, and I'll point them out. Enter by the narrow gate, for, gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. How many people know that to be true? It's easy to screw up. Anybody else? It's easy to screw up. Like, I find, like I, I, like, I find myself, like, trouble. Tr- like, I don't need to go looking for trouble. Trouble just is around me sometimes. And somebody say amen, right? It's like, it's just, it's always there. Like, I didn't have to teach myself how to steal an Oreo cookie when I was little. I did it all by myself. That Oreo was there, and I still, to this day, 55 years old. If I see an Oreo cookie, it's game on. Okay, so, easy is the way that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it, and this is really scary, are many. There's a lot of people going that direction, aren't they? There's a lot of people going the direction of self-destruction, putting themselves on the wrong path, being in the wrong position, not following Christ. What he's talking about here is a word that we don't talk about in church very much, but we probably should. It's the word holiness. What he's asking for is substance in our life. He's asking for holiness. And he's saying these people are not chasing The holy lifestyle. And then he says this. And there's one word that I really want to kind of pull out of here. For the for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find. That word find. That word find is a little infatuated. Actually, it's a little confusing because the word find in our English language doesn't do it justice the way it was written in Greek. The word find there, you would almost think like anybody ever played hide and seek? Anybody would consider themselves an expert hider or a hider seeker. I don't know how you even say it. how do you say that hider seeker. So I was the guy that would get. I was the guy that would get in the washing machine. Anybody else? Never got found until one time my mom turned turned it on. Then I got wet. And I'm glad it was the days where they didn't lock from the top. Like now they all lock from the top. The other day we just you know jumped out. But you think that when Jesus is saying this, he's you almost can get in your mind that it's like this unattainable thing. Like if you find me, if like God God is like kind of the the wizard of Oz behind the thing, like if you can find me, it's not it at all. The implication here is something totally different. The implication is here is somebody that's never tried to look. Like you intentionally haven't looked yet. Like you haven't even tried to seek after God. I remember years ago, and it's interesting just over the years how God's, spoke through different ways. And I've had people say, you know, I can't see God. And Anybody ever see God? Just, I mean, if you did, that's great. But I've, I've never seen God. I don't know what he looks like. I have an image of my mind, in my mind what he looks like. And I think that's what messes us up so much in religious things or spiritual things is because we've never seen God. We're falling after something we've never seen. And I remember my kids, I can't remember which one, we were sitting on our front porch over on Buxton Lane and we had a oak tree in the front yard and it was fall time and all the Oak leaves were falling on the ground, and one of my kids said, Dad, how, how can I believe in God when I can't see God? I'm like, Oh, man. Really? Couldn't you ask me something else? Like, what's your favorite color, Dad? <laughs> but, uh, how, how can you believe in a God when you can't see Him? And about that time, I saw the wind blow, and it blew all the leaves completely down the street. And I said, I, there I, go. I don't remember what kid it was. Did you see the wind? No. Did you believe the wind blew the leaves? Well, yeah, Dad, it's wind, but you didn't see it. But you saw the effects of it, right? Yeah, said so that's God. That's God. I can't see God, but I can see the effects of God in every one of us. I can see the life change that's happened every time we do a baptism, and I hear a story about an addict or a person that was abused or a person whose marriage was falling apart. I can see the benefits. I can see the actions. I can see what God has done. Life change happens. but you have to look for him. And the problem is many of us are not willing to do the work that it takes. Now, he says this. He says find, search after, find it, look for it, chase after it. The narrow path requires more than just and and this is the tough thing. If you want to be real qu- quite honest, it's harder to chase after God. It's isn't it? Like if you've been a believer any length of time, it what is it time to get up? And it scared me. I missed my alarm. Either that or life is over. Which one is it? Whew. Squirrel. How many people in this room know, you don't have to read, that it's harder to chase after holiness than it is to chase after destruction? Caleb Meeks did a phenomenal job of explaining and breaking down this passage of scripture last week in Matthew chapter 7. And it rings true today because I want you to notice some of the same words. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Now, I don't know about you guys. I wish that every time I prayed the prayer, I got the answer the first time. But I can tell you, that's, it's, not, it's not that way in my life. And every time I ask, I don't get God to show up exactly when I snap my fingers. Sometimes it's days, sometimes it's months, sometimes it's years, sometimes it's literally 10 years, 15, 20 years. I shared a couple years ago with our church here. There's been a prayer that I have prayed every day for the last 30 years, every day. And it's something I haven't seen God do. And it's in my life. And I'm gonna ask and I'm gonna seek and I'm holding God's face. You know what I'm talking about? Like he said, I'm holding God's face. Come on, God, it's about time. But he says this. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will knock and it will be open to you. For everyone, everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be open in Deuteronomy, in the Old Testament, it says this, but, but from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will, a promise, you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. That means I've gotta be looking for him. See, this, what he's talking about in this passage is not a futile attempt at not finding God. He's not playing hide and seek with you. He is asking you to seek after him diligently. And when we do that, we'll find him. So here's, that was the first thing. So whatever path you're on, it's gonna take you right to the place you're gonna go. The second thing is your content will determine what you become. There's a phrase that computer people use, garbage in, garbage out. If we're putting all the junk in our lives, if we're just worried about what we look like and there's not a lot of content, you know what's gonna happen? That stress, that problem, that, that, that issue, that trial, that tribulation is gonna come and it's gonna, it's gonna take all this stuff and then we're gonna be left with nothing. But when we have contents in our life, when we have good substance, when we have the right things in our lives, when all those things come, you know what happens, we stand the test of time. We stand against those things. So what are those contents? What are the things that God wants us to put in our lives? Well, I think Second Peter, chapter one, Peter lists seven things out, and he makes an incredible guarantee that if you add these things to your life, if you add these things to your faith, that you already have, that you will be successful, you'll be effective, you'll be productive. 2nd chapter 1, 5. See if you can pick these out. We're going to break these down a little bit. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith, add to what you already have, goodness and goodness knowledge and knowledge self-control and self-control perseverance and perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection, to mutual affection love. Watch this, verse 8. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, that means we're building. We say it around here, life, we're all in process, right? everybody has a next step. This is one of the places we get it from. You may not have these things right now, or you may have small tidbits. As a matter of fact, let's do this today. Test yourself. Give yourself a little quiz. We're going to look at these seven things about how we uh, can have them in our lives, what they look like, define them. And if we don't have, what can we do to get them there? Test yourself. Go, I'm about a four on a scale of one to 10, or "I'm I'm about an eight on this one. And then take the couple, maybe there's only one or two, take those and go, I really need to work on this one area. Because he says, for if you possess these qualities, in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not do them is nearsighted and blind. They have been cleansed from their past. He's saying, listen, he said, when we add these things, we have content. When we don't, we just have form. So the first one is this, Goodness. Goodness, what does goodness look like? What is goodness? Peter isn't talking about now. Here's this. He's not talking about being content with just the outward appearance of good stuff. He's not saying, "I just want you to be a good person." He says, "I want you to have good intentions in your actions. Sincere. Have you ever been around somebody that you really don't know their motivations? That they they say nice things to you, they build you up, but you don't know if they're doing it to literally to manipulate you for something down the road." Maybe you've been in a relationship with, it, with that and you, now you know specifically when somebody starts to manipulate you, you go, whoa, 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 whoa. you can't do that. That, that. that resembles something in my path, you can't handle that. When he's talking about here, the Greek word refers to excellence in operative or pr- in a practical sense. In other words, it's about what we do. It's not just about what we say, it's about our actions. It's about how we handle our lives. When tr- troubles come, when trials come, how are we doing these things? anybody ever been around somebody and they said this comment? Well, you know, Joe's a really good person. Tim is a really good person, right? He's a good person, right? How many people know Tim? Anybody know Tim in their church? Okay. Tim's a good person, isn't he, right? I I like Tim. Tim's a good guy. But I've heard people, not about Tim, but I've heard people go, hey, you know, Joe over there, he's a really good person. Really good person. I mean, you, you know about his drinking problem though, right? And you know that he's beat his wife, right? got four or five DUIs, and you know he yells at his kids all the time, and you know what he does at church on Sunday mornings is nothing like his real life, and when people go, Joe's a really good person, I'm going, no, he's not. Joe's not even a guy that I want to hang out with. Joe is not a good person, and it's one of those deals where, where when he says good, when he says goodness, and he said he wants to be, he wants us to be good people. One of the things that I'm most proud of of Journey, our church. And I think I'm allowed to be kind of like a dad proud is we have a really good reputation in our city. Like I had a phone call this morning. Listen, can you do us a favor? Can you just pray for us? We know that Journey believes in prayer. I'm like, wow, that's pretty good. Another church. We had, they, have a, they had a COVID case this morning that broke out and they're going to have to cancel church and they're just barely getting, they're just barely making it. And I said, listen, I'll call you tomorrow. We'll figure out, we'll help you out any way we can. You know why we have a good reputation? Because you have a good reputation in the city. It's not just, hey, Pat's a good guy or Jen's a good girl. It's They are really good people. Now, I want you to know something now because it's about actions. And I want you to understand, if you're a guest at Journey, I'm gonna make a statement right now. I need you to hear, okay? We do not believe at Journey that we are saved by good works, okay? That we're saved by Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, that's it. There's nothing. There's nothing that you can do that makes God get off the throne and go, you did a really good job, okay? But once we have faith, God expects something from us. One of my favorite passages, we read it a lot around here, is Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. That's what, that's what Peter's writing about. He said, he said, add to your faith good works. That means you do something with your life which God prepared is beforehand that we should walk in them, that we should walk in these good works. People around us, we make Jesus famous by the good works that he's performing in us, which leads to the next thing, knowledge. And this is probably one of the most absolutely misunderstood because right away when you think of knowledge you think uh, you know like i'm going to get all this philosophical you know theory and knowledge in my mind i'm going to know all the ins and outs of the bible i'm going to be at every bible study the journey has and i'm going to go to every bible study that everybody else has because i want as much knowledge as i could possibly have that's not what he's talking about here as a matter of fact when you break down the greek word it's the words practical knowledge you know i'm going to give to you it means you have spiritual common sense That means you know the difference between right and wrong. And when you have to make that decision, you make the right decision. It's practical knowledge. It's interesting to me. And I'm all for learning the deep things. And during my sabbatical, I took two, a couple college classes. I read a bunch of books from the 16th century that I just wanted to get as much knowledge as I possibly could. The problem is, a lot of that stuff isn't practical knowledge. It's just big knowledge. It's interesting, I have people all the time come up to me and I love it when a new believer walks up to me and says, I wanna study God's word. I'm like, great, where should I start? And they go, should I start in the book of Revelations? No, don't, Revelation nor Numbers, don't go to either one. One will bore you to death, the other one will scare the heck out of you, right? Where do you go? go? Let me explain it this way. It's great to have knowledge, but there's certain things that we will never know the answers to. Did you hear me? So in our online when we do partnership here at Journey, we make a statement. There's some things we're gonna hold on to very tightly. We're gonna hold on. I mean, we're we're holding on to Jesus Christ as the Son of God, and through him and through him alone, that's the only way a person can get saved. Okay? We're holding on to that. There's no argument. We're not arguing about that. There's no argument. I'm not asking you to believe like me. I'm just telling you this is where we stand. But there's the other things over here that we're like, I'm not real sure of. You may think you're sure of, but people have been arguing about these things for thousands of years. Let me give you one. Anybody ever heard you've been in church, the rapture? Rapture. Raise your hand if you've heard of the rapture, if you've been to church. Okay. So it's the day when Jesus takes you away, he sweeps you off your feet, you're in the middle of driving a car, I don't know how it works out, okay? I've seen the movies. And then all of a sudden you go, I guess to heaven, or maybe go to a halfway house for a little while. I don't know exactly what happens. (laughs) But eventually, you end up at the throne of God, okay? I don't know how long that takes or whatever. Well, some people, some churches, some denominations believe that it's a pre-tribulation, rapt, pre-tribulation rapture, which means before all you know what breaks loose, he is gonna protect all his church people, all his people that love him, all the people that are on that narrow gate, right? Narrow gate, we'll get back to the passage. And he's gonna take them all up to heaven right there, and he's gonna like, you'll never have to worry about anything, okay? That sounds really good, doesn't it? Like, everybody, yeah, that's the good one. Like, I don't wanna go through any problems. Some people would say you're the wimps that you're trying to get out of all the good stuff. Okay, because the good stuff's gonna happen like in mid-tribulation rapture. And that's about three and a half years into it. Rapture, uh, tribulation's about seven years. And he's gonna take us all. And then some people believe in a post-tribulation rapture. They're the ones that think they're Rambo. <laughs> that you're gonna make it all the way through. You're gonna, you're gonna have the tats on your arm. and you're ah! I'm gonna go for the first one because I'm kind of a wuss. But at Journey, this is what we say: At Journey, because people have been arguing about this theology for thousands of years. Journey, we're a pan-tribulation church. It's all going to pan out the way God wants it to pan out. We're not going to argue about. God wants us to have practical knowledge. He wants us to have biblical knowledge. He wants us to have the stuff. He wants us to notice. He wants us to know. You know, like where the neptilians come from. I mean, he wants all that kind of stuff. But he wants us to be able to do it too. So a guy asked me last week, he said, Pastor Bobby, I want to start reading the Bible. Hey, I would encourage you. This, this is the way we get this one, okay? Read your Bible. Read it every day. Get on a plan where you spend uh, 15 or 20 minutes every morning reading the Bible. Pick a book. I'll give you a book. Read the book of John. Read, read any of the epistles, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. Read, read first and second. read something, okay? Don't go to Numbers, you'll fall asleep. Don't go to Revelation, you won't understand it. But go somewhere where you can start just learning about the Savior. Who the, that's why John's so good. It tells about God's love for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only... It's all that kind of stuff. Go there. But then the second thing, and I believe that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you should always be in a book. You should always be reading something. Right now, we're reading a book. Um, what's it called? Come on, Pat, man. Don't leave me hanging, brother. Running with, the Running with the Giants. The whole staff is reading a book, Running with the Giants. After that book, we're reading uh, Red Sea Rules. Thanks, Jen. Red Sea Rules. I'm reading a book right now. It's one of the best books I've ever read. It's called Atomic Habits. It's not what you think it is. It's about doing the little things, doing the little things well, and what happens is you have these big things that happen in your life. What these are, these are believer-based books that are helping me be a better believer. So I read God's word, and I read how to apply God's word to my life. So that's knowledge. Here's the next thing, and this is the one that I'm gonna skip over, self-control. Does anybody need to worry about self-control? Just go to the next one. Oh, you need it. Okay, I'll preach it just for you then. This is the ability for somebody to act on their own without outside influences. And let me just give you the way it's, so the Greek word literally means this, to say the word no. We have a problem with that word, don't we? We don't like to be told no. So I'm gonna give you a chance. If you're here online, if you're in Sherwood, If you're out in the atrium, on the count of three, we're all going to shout the word no so we can get it out of our mouths one time today. Okay, y'all ready? All right. One, two, three. No. There was no conviction at all. (laughs) No. This is what it comes down to. So let's say you're on a budget. Okay. Say you follow Dave Ramsey, right? Some of you are turning your eyes up at me right now. Saying no means when that credit card comes through and you go, ooh, I have 10,000, let's go to Europe. You say, no. Or when you drive past the car dealership and that brand new Toyota Tundra is sitting there and you hear it, Bobby, Bobby, we say, no. Or when that thing that pops up on our computer that we know we shouldn't be looking at, we say, no. no. But when that person that's in your workplace to ask for your number because they want to start a conversation with you, or they jump on Facebook and they message you, some high school sweetheart, and you're already in a committed, God-honoring relationship, you say, no. Yeah. See, we can joke around about the budget stuff. That's the easy stuff. But when it comes to the other stuff, it's a little harder, isn't it? that's what he's talking about he's saying self-control that means we say no that means we don't just have an outward appearance of godliness that means we actually have some content the next thing is perseverance and this means having intestinal fortitude it means you stick with it so the first one you're saying no this one here you're saying try again That i'm going to try again though i've made some mistakes though i've made some really bad mistakes and i'm going to tell you something i was thinking about this this past week I have, I've known a handful of Christians, not many, that have left because of persecution or peer pressure. Do you know why most people leave the faith? Because of a problem or a struggle. And they don't, they, don't, they don't live through it, they don't walk through it. It's like that seed that's on the ground and the sun scorches the seed. It grows for a little bit and then all of a sudden that sun scorches it and it goes away. A problem comes up and it goes away. This, these words here are try again. Okay, Pastor Bobby, you don't know, you, you don't know what I'm going through. Like, I I am working on trying not to yell at my kids. I'm working on my anger issue. And I failed even last night. You know what I got to tell you? Try again. The the marriage marriage is struggling right now. The marriage is struggling. Like we just can't get on the same page. And last night it was a blow up. On the way to church, we didn't even talk to each other. You know what I'd say to you? Persevere. Try again. Let let me give you the biggest one. God, I promise you, I'm going to pray for an hour and read an hour every day. And how many people have failed at that? Oh shut up! (laughs) And you lie about it in church. (laughs) That that, that's one of my hardest ones because I really want to. I really want to be as close to God as I possibly can. And when I fail, you know what I've learned? I got to try again. Proverbs twenty four is actually a scripture that's on my wall. It says this, for the righteous falls seven times and rises again. You know what that means? If he fell seven times, he got up seven times. We spend a lot of time worrying about the fall, but how about if we we celebrated the rising up every time, the trying again every time, that every time we were failing or getting up. The fifth one is this. The next one is godliness. I'll make this quick. Godliness is this. It's being in right standings with God and with men. It's not, just, it's not just good to come to church and read your Bible and do all your stuff. That the content of our lives, not the form, the content of our lives, that means we get along with the people around us. That means, that, it means people look at you and go, Harry, you're a good guy. Hey, do you know, and when somebody comes against Harry, you know what? I don't believe it. Let's call Harry up and find out. Because that doesn't sound anything like my friend Harry. Or that doesn't sound like my friend Steve. That doesn't sound like anything Stephen would ever do. Never in a million years. I'm in right standings with God and with people. Matthew chapter five says it like this. And if you're not, so if you're you're, you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, not you have something against your brother, by the way, that your brother has something against you. That means you offended somebody and you know you offended them. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. First John 4, 21. And this commandment, we need to learn this one in our world. This is one of those, we got to figure this one out. And this commandment we have, we, have, we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Did you hear that? I mean, we're not blowing people up on Facebook and Instagram and we're not making fun of their problems or their issues or the divorce or the way they believe that we're loving them. Sixth thing, mutual affection. One thing that I've learned through COVID, I've learned a lot, but one thing I've learned through COVID is we can do church, right? We can do church. We did church for 16 weeks without ever meeting on this property. We can do church, but that's not God's design plan. There's there's a a, a phrase that they're using right now. Psychologists are calling it social isolation, and that's what's happened during COVID. Even people like me, which you, you may not even believe, I'm an introvert. I like to be by myself. I love to be in a deer stand by myself. I love to be on a golf cart or walking a golf course by myself. I love to be in my boat. But even an introvert, I found out over those 16 weeks that I love being around people. I need people around me. The Bible says where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm in the midst right now. And I was thinking about this all week long. I actually told Will, our Next Steps pastor and our small groups uh, pastor, uh, Caleb Meeks, I said, man, this is like hot on my, like this is hot, this is my passion right now. Like we have got to figure out a way to do community better than we've ever done it. Because people are falling by the wayside. People, like I can't believe how many people are going, this has been the loneliest time of my life. Well, it shouldn't be like that. Mutual affections means this. I'm doing life with you and you're doing life with me. So I'm gonna give you the how to do that. The first way to do it is this. I would encourage you to get on a serving team. You can't help but do life with people um, um, when you're serving. Like, you have, like I was here this morning, the whole team, all the ones with the red shirts, they were all out there. They were having a big old conference, they were high-fiving, children's ministry. Like those people are crazy up there, by the way. You know that? And, and like, they're, they're, they, like I, I walked, I was here last week when Caleb was speaking. I was walking around there. They're nuts. They have lost their minds up there. Like loud and like I could hear them all the way down here. And I thought to myself, they're looking like they're having fun. You, you, you want to get on team? Get on JSM. Help Pat and Jen out with their team. Like, you want to have a cool experience? Come down here on a Wednesday night with 200 and something students that are madly in love with Jesus and hear how they teach the word of God and how they worship together. I'm telling you, those teams, and this is what we're finding out, people that are a part of a team don't fall away from church very easily because there's accountability process. Let me give you another one. If you're not in a small group right now, get in a small group. We have all kinds of small groups breaking out. We have all kinds of things going on. And this is the one thing that I've learned the most. I need it even at this stage of 30 years of being a believer. I need it more now than I've ever needed it. You can go over the next steps area. You can go to our page and they'll help you get involved in a small group. Let me give you the last one. We're gonna close right here. Peter finally ends it with the most important thing. The thing that Jesus talked more about than anything else, love. Love is the ultimate Christian priority. He says this in Colossians chapter three, verse 14. He says, above all these things put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And then in Matthew chapter seven, verse 12, he says, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do to them also. He says, that's the law of the prophets. This is what I've determined. It's like this. I think what we need to do is draw a line in the sand. And we understand this is form. And we understand that this is content. And those seven things fall somewhere in here. Some of them are more leaning this way. Some of them are more leaning that way. But we need to draw a line in the sand. And this became real to me, this whole idea. I was thinking about a couple, three years ago, four years ago, um, I was in San Antonio, Texas. Anybody ever been to San Antonio? and I went to this little place called the Alamo. And when I say little place, it was very underwhelming. If you ever been there, it's just a small little, like, and I was like, this is the, remember the Alamo? This were all the, you know, young guns and all that. Thing, like, what's going on here? But there's a story behind it. 1836, it was, a, it was actually a, a Spanish mission. And uh, 182 men fought for freedom. Texans against uh, the Mexican uh, soldiers. There was 5,000. Think about that. 182, 5,000 Mexican soldier, soldiers. William Travis knew that their destiny was to be beat. He called them all together, 182, called them together, and he took his sword out of a scabbard, and he walked in front of them, and he drew a line in front of those 182 people, And he stood on this side and everybody was on that side and he told them about the horrific thing that was about to happen to them. He said, there's about to be bloodshed. Most of us, if not all of us, will lose our lives. He said, but I wanna know how many people are willing to fight for freedom. The freedom that we've known to love in this country. He said, I wanna know from every one of you that's on the other side of that line, how many people are willing to cross that line and come on this side with me to fight for freedom? 181 of them crossed the line. The only person that couldn't cross the line by themselves was a man named Jim Bowie. Jim Bowie was so sick, he was laying in a cot, and he asked the soldiers, four soldiers, to come over and grab his cot and carry him over to this side. On March 6th, the fighting broke out. Three different stands against the Mexican army. The north side of the city broke down. 182 men died. Everyone that crossed that line for freedom. But they thought for some reason it was better to be on this side. In a much more eternal way, Jesus did the same thing. It was a cross, by the way. And he said, I'm gonna go on this cross, I'm gonna die on this cross, that anyone that passes over this line from form to content, I'll have and give you eternal life. I'll, I'll as Peter said, you'll be productive and effective. And yet, at the end of the day, isn't that what we all want? We want our marriages to be productive and effective. We want our Workplaces, we want our ministries, we want everything we do to be productive and effective. And it will never be that way if we're just worried about content. We have to be worried, I mean about the look, the form, we have to be worried about the content. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in this moment right here, whether people are at Sherwood or in our atrium here or watching online, there's no secret sauce to this. It's a conversation with you. It's accepting that cross of Christ that you said that you'll give us life and life more abundantly in John 10.10. Your desire is not for us, your church, to just have form. It's to have content. Let the content of my life be acceptable to you, God. May the content of my life breathe who you are. May the content be enough evidence that you are Lord and God of my life. And God, I'm praying that that's what so many people in this room right here are praying right now. And regardless of where we're at, even if we're just creeping over the line today, God, we're creeping over the line to get to that place. There's a desire in a lot of us to have you fill our lives up. And so in Jesus' name, I pray that you would continue to do that. You would move us, that you would give us our next steps, that you you would help us get from the place where you don't want us to be to the place you want us to be. I pray that we put you in the rightful place as number one, Lord and God of our lives. That we would accept the gospel story. That you died sinless death. That you died on that cross, a sinless man. That you went to that grave. That you rose from the grave. And that God, you prepared a place for every one of us that calls on your name. And I pray that would be many today. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or help taking your next step, email our team at journeycommunity.net.